How do we walk as Christians in our daily lives? The letter of James offers us practical lessons on what to say and what to do as Christians. That's why at Bellwether we're doing a series on James and we're calling it Our Walk because we want to walk by faith. We want your Christian faith to change your walk. have a seat. Thank you all again for being here today. And uh, I don't know about y'all, but man, I've already received uh, many blessings from Judy and uh, from the Liston family. So just praise God for uh, what he's doing here. Uh, And I hope you see uh, just in this brief time, our heart for uh, the world and his kingdom being raised in the world and our heart for his kingdom being raised here in the midst of families and our church family. Uh, Please turn to James 4 if you've got your Bibles. We're in this series called Our Walk, and if you'd like to get a Bible on the back table, you're welcome to do so. The page number on our church Bible is, it is 1013 in the back. We're going to be reading in James 4. Uh, But before we do that, it looks like Scripture's already up on screen, but before we do that, a couple things. Uh, First off, uh, we've been doing this series in James called Our Walk, and it's really a how-to, how do we do this? And as I was singing the song, Christ Be the Center of Our Lives, uh, what we're going to break down today is how does that look practically? I mean, it is great to sing and praise, and we should, and it's great to even uh, state uh, in preaching, teaching, uh, in Sunday school classes or, or group settings, but like when the... When the nitty-gritty happens in relationships with people, with plans, with possessions, what does it mean for Christ to be the center of our lives? How does that look? Uh, Next week, uh, we're closing this series out on James. And I I say this because I really hope you'll be here. Uh, We're doing two things that are very important to the life of this church next Sunday, too. Not just closing the series out. Uh, We're nominating elders. And if you're like, what's elders? How does that play into this? Uh, Come to our covenant lunch. We'll be talking about that. We'll be nominating elders next week. We'll be praying for a team that's going to India the next day. Uh, So we'll be doing that next Sunday. So I hope that y'all will be here. Uh, Now, last Sunday, though, because today ties into last Sunday, we looked at a man or a person of the world moving to a man and person of Christ. And so the sermon kind of ended with, hey, I'm really into the things of the world, and now I'm into Christ. But it's all about a vertical relationship that we have, us, with God. Today, it's almost like a part two of last week, because today we're going to be talking about horizontally in our relationships with other people and the things of this world. What does a man, a woman, a person of Christ do? How do, they, how do we act with one another? How do we act in this world? So I really encourage you, uh, this sermon is very much tied to last week's sermon. But again, how, what does it look like? When Jesus is the center of our lives. I mean, what, it, you know, what does that look like? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christianity, when it was, uh, first began and first began to grow, it was known as the way. It wasn't even known as Christianity. It was known as the way. All of us are looking for a way 
to do this life. All of us are looking for this, a path, a way. What's, what's the way that I, I live? What's the way that I lead my life? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the center of our lives. Easy to say, sometimes difficult to do, as we will see in James, as James reminds us. So now, James chapter 4, we're going to begin with verse 11. We closed last week on verse 10, so we're just going to continue through. I'm going to read verse 11 through uh, chapter 5, verse 6. He says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. As always, James does not mince words. A lot there. But really what he's saying to us is, uh, what do you do when somebody gossips against you? I mean, what do you do when you hear somebody say something bad against you or your family? What do you do? What do you do when uh, you're looking at your life and your future? How do you make or orchestrate your plans for life, for job or career or family? How do we do that? How do we deal with our possessions, our money? James is pushing into all of these tough things. He's saying like, you know, okay, church, because he's writing to the church. I mean, you sing, they probably sang, you say Jesus is the center of your lives, so I'm pushing in. James doesn't mince words. Now, something else that's very key to remember, and I want to say this from the get-go. All through James, he is, he's literally telling us how to fight how to fight. Because, see, we're in a fight as Christians. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, we're, we're in a battle, spiritual warfare. But James is saying you need to really know who your enemy is. Uh, last week, I'm not going to read the Scripture, but he really laid out who the enemy was in, in three parts. He talked about our flesh. We battle against desires of the flesh. He talked about our battles against the world and worldliness. Jesus said, you are in the world, but not of it. But our chief enemy, and James lays this out, I believe it was verse 7, resist the devil. Our chief enemy, and we have an enemy, is the devil, Satan. 
And he's very smart. He's very wily. And he's like the quarterback. And he has plays that he runs. And he has tactics. And he uses the things of the world. And he uses the things of our flesh to fight against us. That's one reason we have to claim Jesus is the center of our lives. I mean, he, he is the victor. And he wins. But look, I mean, let's don't underestimate the devil who wants to seek, kill, and destroy. And some of the ways he does this, I mean, in Scripture is clear. Scripture calls the devil a liar. So he is constantly whispering or shouting lies to you. He is. He says things like, man, that preacher, he's saying this about God's word. That's pretty hardcore stuff. I mean, you know, we can go to John 3, 16, but this is what he's looking at today. Go ahead and check out right now, you know, and be thinking about lunch or that game. Man, this is, come on. Or he's even saying, like, you know, how can you trust God's word? Let's not even take this passage. How can you trust it? Or he said, how can you trust this church? Or how can you trust any church? You know, I mean, all churches are corrupt, bad. You know, they're hypocrites. He probably said something like that this morning. Why go? Why go? It's a late night up watching a game. Why go? He also lies and says, uh, you're, you're really not that good. Who, who do you think you are? You know, Mr. and Miss Super Christian? Who do you think you are? Uh, he accuses you. Scripture also calls the devil the accuser. So like past sins, he's whispering adulterer, a thief. And you, and not explicit thief, but you manipulated that, that guy in business. He says those things. He lies, he accuses, and a lot of times it's constant. We need to be clear before I move into these things who the enemy is. Who the enemy is. And the devil would like us to see the enemy as one another. Uh, friends, family, church family. The enemy is the devil. And especially into this first couple verses, because it's talking about someone who speaks ill against you. So someone who would gossip against you. Someone who would uh, gossip maybe about somebody you love. Someone who targets you, who, who verbally assaults you. What do you do? I think one thing, and again, James tells this earlier in uh, chapter 4, but uh, when he says... Actually, verse 7, submit, he says, uh, resist the devil. He's literally talking about the original language, and I like to go here sometimes because it helps clarify the Greek. He was literally talking about taking up a posture towards someone, a, a posture. And so when someone speaks ill against you or your family or someone speaks evil or gossips, our posture is so critical. Like, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about is often we can, like, lose the fight or the battle before it even begins because we give in to the devil and his lies, and, and our pride boils up, and pride is like gas to the engine or to the fire of fighting. And we target somebody else, and we fire back. Rapid fire, those words. And some of y'all have a gift at it. Like, ta da 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 You know? We strike back. Instead, James is saying here, and he goes into this, verse 10, humble yourselves. We've got we to gotta take this posture of humility. I mean, literally our, our stance. I, I don't know if y'all 
realize this, but I mean, sometimes posture and stance, I mean, communicate so much. And James is saying, you know, when someone rails against you, you know, have this choice, let, let your pride boil up, and let pride be the gas, you know, for that fire, or take this posture of, of humility, and really think carefully about how you speak and what you say, and actually don't see that person as the enemy. Because they're really not. We do have an enemy, but it's not them. And when Jesus is the center of our lives, uh, we can easily and readily take that posture. Because it's not about us. It's not, it's not about uh, proving or correcting or showing how they're wrong. Uh, it's really about trying to, trying to you know, just neutral, neutralize and, and diminish this, these words and this potential fight. And so James saying, man, you need to really consider your posture, your, your stance, your position. That's what he's saying. In humility. And don't bark back or shoot back these words of evil. It's how we should deal with one another as the church, as Christians. Again, horizontally, if Jesus is the center of our lives. We take a different posture in this world. We take a different position. Jesus says this himself, and I'm going to read from uh, Jesus' words on the Sermon of the Mount. Look what he says. This is Matthew. It's Matthew 7, verse 1 through 5. Jesus says, Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the law that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly, you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. James is referring back to the words of Jesus. Jesus says, judge not. Uh, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but uh, there have been times in my life where I've seen a person, so there's no interaction. This is a different situation. He hasn't said anything about me. But I see someone, I was like, man, they just, I mean, they just think they're hot stuff or like highfalutin or, you know, cocky without a reason. You don't even know them. And, and maybe this hadn't happened to you. Maybe, you know, but I remember this one guy, and he's actually a member of the church now. Love him, love him. But when I first saw him, this was pre Bella, I was like, she, Linda knows who I'm talking about. It's like, that dude, man, he just thinks he's all that. I see him walking around, you know, sticking out his chest and stuff. And I just judged him. And then I've gotten to know him, and he is like, He's, got, he's the kindest, softest heart. I mean, he probably puts a little exterior out, you know, and I'll rib him on that. But he's got this kind, soft demeanor. And I told him, man, I was so wrong, so off on that guy. And I was judging. And you really don't know a person's heart. And sometimes we, you know, we put an image or a posture. That's not who we are. Jesus says, judge not. Then Jesus goes on, and he's, you know, talking about the speck and the log. And this can happen too, okay? And this can be a Christian brother or sister, who may even start off with, hey, I love you, you know, I'm here to help you, but, you know, I noticed this and this and this and this about your life, and, uh, you know, we need to change that. Now, I don't know what your response is, but mine often is something like, man, thank you. That was really apt and kind of you to do and see, so now let me return the favor. And... (laughs) 
as you saw that speck, let me start breaking down the 3,000 square foot log cabin that's all surrounded your head and face, you know, something like that. And that's what I try to do, maybe not successful. That's what I feel like doing. And again, we got to take this posture of, and it can be a brother and sister that, and we need brothers and sisters to speak truth, speak accountability. It's why we're nominating elders, why we're having an elder team. But also, there is the risk of, you know, receiving that and striking back. And James is saying, take this posture of humility and receiving. And sometimes we have to be on the other end of that and, and speaking truth. And we need to, when we do that, you know, we're, we're think about it as, I don't know if we've got eye doctors in here. I'm not a doctor, not good with hands. But, you know, think about trying to take something, you know, out of, your, out of an eye. You know, all of a sudden poke the eye. You know what I'm saying? That hurts. So you've got to be very gentle when we're talking about somebody's sin. You've got to be very gentle in doing that. You don't want to poke an eye out. So be gentle. Take this posture of humility with people. Then James goes, going back to James... Uh, Four, he talks about plans and planning. He says, today, tomorrow, you go in such such town, make a profit. He's actually talking here, and he's going to get more into it, so get ready about people kind of middle to upper class, people who have means, uh, people who have some money. You know, you want to invest and you want to make plans, and how can you make more? So uh, he's talking a lot to our culture here. He's talking about uh, plans. Now, I don't know about you, but... Uh, I am a, a planner, uh, extraordinaire, don't always live into those plans, but my wife will say that, uh, you know, on a, on a Saturday, on an off day, on a vacation, you know, that morning, I like to make a plan. Hey, do this, you know, this hour, the afternoon. Uh, yes, OCD. Uh, yes, control freak. I don't know, you know, how many of y'all are like that, but she's like, you know, man, can't we just like chill out? I was like, I kind of got to make a plan so I can know what I'm doing, you know, this afternoon and tonight. I see some heads now. Thank you, Kelly Angelo. But, you know, yeah, OCD, okay, I'm working on it. But, like, we make our plans. And we make our plans, you know, for life as well. And, you know, the thing about it is we always, uh, I like to say, I heard it said something like this. You know, we plan for what will bring us the best tomorrow. Think about that. We plan what we think will bring us the best tomorrow. So it, it could, be, uh, could be, you know, our, our looks when we're young. You know, trying to meet someone. Uh, it could be, you know, financially. You know, how can I plan to get this life? Uh, it can be, you know, hey, I've got to stay in shape. I mean, our plans are, are rooted and nestled around what we think will bring us the best tomorrow. Yet the truth of the matter is, the scripture is, we really don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. So, you know, I would say this, and God's really working on me in this. As the planner, as the OCD, as the control freak, God, God's really working on me right here. And so we prepare the plan for our life. And, you know, God, he spoke to me on this this week. He said, he said can you just keep your life prepared for my plan? You know, what are you saying? I'm saying, like, can you be prepared that, when God's plans happen, you can live into it. Can we be prepared that when God lays it out, we, all right, I'm ready. Because he, he's not going to reveal the whole plan. That's part of the trick. I'm like, well, how can I be prepared if I don't know? There are ways. Uh, at this church, we call them rays. There are five ways of growth 
spiritual growth, rise with God, personal quiet time, affirm the family, your family, the church family, invest in a church. We believe in the power and the capacity of a local church to grow and serve here. Share in a group. You've got to have a smaller group. Three, four. I mean, it doesn't have to be like 12, but you've got to have some smaller group that keeps you that accountability, that speaks truth into your life. Engage the world. God calls us to go out. Doing those things, those disciplines, spiritual disciplines, I believe it prepares the, the soil, the landscape of our lives, that when God begins to orchestrate or unveil His plan, we can live and walk into it. We also, and I've said this more and more, and God's convicted me more and more, you know, we've lost this sense that Jesus is coming again. Uh, we sing and teach, hey, Jesus is the center of our lives. We say, yeah, well, I, Jesus is coming again. But the early church and James, I mean, they thought it could be any day, and it could be any day. I believe that. Scripture's clear on that. So are we preparing our hearts for Jesus' return? Just this week, I, I shared some students, some youth. I said, you know, what would you do if you knew, if you knew your time was limited? Because the truth of the matter is, all of our time is limited. So I say this to us as a reality, as a fact. What are you going to do because your time is limited? How are you going to live? What, what's your plan going to be now? I mean, it should change our plans where we want to make sure we're prepared each day for God's plan to be unveiled in our lives, in our church, in our world. Because our time is limited. And when you know that, I mean, that would change. We'd probably see more reconciliation. We'd probably see, hey, I, I want to get closer to God. I, I want my heart to grow in Him more and more. If you know your time is limited, yet it is, it changes the trajectory of our plans. And I hope you see that. Jesus says this, going back to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 34. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Last thing I'd say on this, I love the movie. I love lots of movies. I love the movie Dead Poet Society. It's an oldie, it was in the 80s. Robin Williams, you know. God bless him, he passed away recently, he plays his teacher. And he's trying to say to his students, seize the day. He's really trying to say your time is limited. What are you going to make of your lives? And God convicts me of that too. Are we seizing the day? Are we taking each day? Are we so worried about the future and our plans that we're not seizing this day and the opportunities that God presents here for relationships, for worship, for growth, for mission? Seize the day. For the Lord. And it will prepare your hearts for His plan. And then last, and this is directly tied to plans, it's possessions. Because James says, you know, man, you make your plans, but so much of your plans are wrapped up in your possessions. So he talks to, he talks to those of us who have much. And look, we all have much. Uh, if you go to Honduras or India or, you know, pick... Two-thirds of the world. I mean, we, we're rich. And he's saying, you know, how do you, how do you spend it? How do you use this that I've, I've gifted you? My wife and I heard a sermon, and uh, it, it's, 
kind of harsh, but I mean, it's so true. It convicted me. This preacher said, you know, God says, show me your checkbook and then I'll tell you if you're a liar or not. Wow. It convicted me. I was like, ooh, show me your checkbook and I'll tell you if you're telling the truth or not. Turn it around. It shows our hearts. And, and God's saying here, are you, he's really through James saying, you know, how generous are you with what I've given you? And now we can say, because some of you might be saying, we can say, man, what God's given me, man, I worked hard for this. Uh, it's mine. You know? I mean, I didn't have to work hard, so I initiated, you know, I'm in some capacity an entrepreneur, even though you may not be called out. You know, I did it, so it, it's, it's mine. It's mine. And the interesting thing about our lives is that what we don't choose is so much more important than what we do choose. Here's what I say. What we don't choose is so much important because we didn't choose where we were born or where we lived. Uh, we didn't choose uh, our families. Uh, we didn't choose the time in history that we'd be born into. Uh, didn't choose our race. Uh, didn't choose um, our abilities physically. I mean, that we can walk and didn't choose uh, how we can think or gifts of the mind. It's God-given. So really, what we need to say is we've worked hard with what was given to us. What was given to us. And that we should, if Christ is the center of our lives, we should have the spirit of generosity in us because God has given us gifts. And then if we work hard to use those gifts, increases capacity to help the world, to help a young girl in San Pedro Sula with Operation Christmas Child, uh, to help orphans in India, uh, to help uh, youth in and around Jackson through Ignite, to help people. And that's what we're called to do. If Jesus is the center of our lives. Like, well, give me an example. Like, how, how do I do this? Give you a, a brief example again. Convicts me so, man, I, I, I'm tracking with you. I know they're small steps and they can be painful and they can be hard. Uh, my wife and I were given a gift this week. I mean, this huge gift. It was 200 bucks, $200. I was like, yeah, man. I already started, you know, I'm going to use this. You know, dinner tonight's covered. Got that, okay? And it was covered. So we spent it on dinner. Then my wife comes and I love my wife, but why she does sometimes get under my skin. She's like, you know, John Hugh, you know, the Lord's really convicted me. We need to give more in small ways. So I want to take $50 out of this 200 and I want to help somebody going on a mission trip. You know, maybe it's this India trip. I was like, man, you know, um, love the thought, but, you know, I, I think everybody's good. You know, I think everybody's <laughs> pretty much taken care of my first response and uh in truth you know i i I think we're good man you know 50 bucks is like you know what come on i mean it's not gonna make a big impact she's like well that's a meal somebody could have you know on a trip and i was already thinking you know i i love books and even though i don't read them i'll collect books i was already thinking about you know that first edition signed at lemuria i was gonna get with the 50 bucks and you know she just she said uh you know i want to help somebody and so anyway you know came over, and joyfully, I said, you know, we don't want giving or generosity to be a burden. I don't. I want it to be joyful. But, but you know, first glance, like, oh, that's a, I got to take that step. 
but now I am joyful. I want to help. And so it's $50, but it's $50. So you take that, and we kind of have this philosophy. And I think it's, you know, mentors have encouraged this. You know, live lean, but create space to enjoy God's creation. We're big on travel, so that's, that's our thing. And create space to give to God's creation. And I think, you know, it's not, you know, some folks say, hey, man, we all got to be paupers. Some folks say, hey, you know, you know, you made it, so spend it. That's not what Scripture says. I think God does have creation that, you know, we should see him in it, live in it, enjoy it. But it's, So we paid for our dinner that night. But at the same time, that 50 bucks will help somebody. That's a small way. What's a, what's a bigger way? And this is where I want to go to our church family. So I'm really speaking here to members of the church, those who call Bellwell the Home. You know, something, this initiative that we're putting out, you're going to be hearing more in the next couple months, is raise more. And it is a vision, it is a dream, but it's for great capacity in this world. At uh, the end of 2015, which is not this year, next, we want to raise a million dollars. We want to raise a million dollars. And you're like, all right, well, what's it going to? Well, what we really want to do, and we'll be talking about this more in our deacon meetings, which anybody could come to if you, want, if you just want to know. We're having one today after lunch. What we really like to do is for every dollar that comes in that helps the ministry in this church uh, with staff, with missions, youth, family, we want a dollar going out. You hear me? Every dollar that goes in, there's a dollar going out. So when you give to raise more, this is $50, I want 25 of that that could be going to a school in Hyderabad, India, that's helping kids off the street in the slums. That could be going to another house we'll build through Salt and Light Ministries. It could be going to a shelter where girls who are rescued uh, get care. Uh, that goes to Ignite Ministries. That goes to Transformation Jackson. You've heard that ministry. That goes to Mission Mississippi. We want dollars going out. And I want to grow our... This is something I'm really fired up about. I want to grow our capacity to engage the world while we continue doing ministry here. And I know we can... Raise a million dollars by the end of next year. I'd love to start the end of this year by raising $200,000. I've shared that to some of you. We can do that. But I want you to know that it's not just dollars going here. It's dollars going out for leverage and capacity for the kingdom in this world. And yeah, somebody's like, man, I don't know. And yeah, you know, I get you. I'm taking the steps too in my own life. $50 goes to someone going on a mission trip. We can do that. But not just a, you know, we can. It's, a, it's what God's calling us to do. Like, well, I, don't, I didn't hear God saying a million dollars. No, generally, if Jesus is the center of our lives, we're called to do great things in the world for him and have great capacity and leverage, more so his church than governments and businesses. And, y'all, we can. And I want you to see that and believe that. And we're going to walk through it together, our walk, to do phenomenal things for Christ in this city and in the world. I'll close just with saying this. and You'll be hearing more about that. I want to talk to you individually. But I want to go back to that word, the way. I want to go back to the song we sang, Christ is the center of our lives. So many of us are struggling for, man, I need to find the way of this life. And and we, uh, we get mistaken that it's a job. We get mistaken that it's a relationship. We even get mistaken that it's a marriage. This is the way. This is it. I found it. Or, or it's children. 
And we're trying to continually navigate our lives to find this way, this path to move forward. It's Jesus. John 14, 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christianity, again, it wasn't even called Christianity. It's called the way. It's the way. And the way changes our lives. And it changes how we act, as I said, horizontally with other people, with the plans we make, with the possessions we have been given. It changes that. And it may happen slowly, but it does change. And I'm here to say, man, all of y'all searching for the way. I think Jesus is the center of your life because he, he has paid it all. He's done it. He gives us life. We, we have life through him and only through him. And then take that and do something with it for him. In your time, in our time, in our season that God has put us. And there are no accidents in Christianity. In this house, in this place, in this city, in this world, in this season. And God could do so much through us than we could ever do through him when he is the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have done, all that you're doing, all you will do. And I pray for the people here and that Bell will be known. Yeah, Jesus is the way. Uh, they don't play around. They don't play the games. They don't put on masks. They're real with one another. They're generous with what you've given them. And they are making disciples in this city and across the world to see the expansion of your kingdom, seeing people who are lost come to Christ, seeing nations come to Christ. Give us this vision. Give us this passion. But help us see clearly that the ways that we think are right, there is a liar and accuser who wants to lead us astray. And it's centered and focused in Jesus. That is, that is our only way. Help us to begin to take a step down that path. Help us can you walk down that path individually with our families in this church family. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We love you, Jesus. Amen.